The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater's America's greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. Happy Saturday. Hope you're having a good weekend. So the audio book is up. My new book, book's called How to Change Someone's Mind. Pretty self-explanatory topic. Um, we got the ebook. You can read it right now. We got the paperback. You can get it tomorrow. And now we have the audio book, and you can listen to that right now. And the audio book's actually already outsold the paperback. So either one, whichever you want, you can listen to the audio book on audible.com, on Amazon, or on iTunes. Please uh, download that now. And I think you'll enjoy it. And we're getting really good reviews fired up by people who uh, are looking forward to use these techniques, use this insight. Um, and I'm excited to hear some success stories. So please be a part of that. It's called how to change someone's mind. You can search for Mike Slater in, uh, in Amazon or again, the book title, how to change someone's mind. Uh, did you hear the story the other day of the guy who was drowning in a pond and five teenagers were standing on the edge of the pond, not only not helping him, but watching him drown, laughing at filming him drowning and mocking him as he was dying. I'm sure you heard that story out of Florida. Now, it's even worse than I thought for two reasons. The body of the man who drowned wasn't found until five days later. So these kids who were ranging from 14 to 18, they didn't even call the police ever. Right? It, it's it would be one thing if they watched the guy die and then afterwards like, Oh, Hey, by the way, they didn't even do that. They just went home. Now, I think even worse than that is that in the meantime, in those five days, they shared this video of the guy drowning with friends and family. And none of them thought to tell the police about it. So it wasn't just the people who were there. But even the people who saw the video of these kids there did not tell anyone about it. That right there, like everything I just said right there is culture. All of that is culture. And that's what I want to talk about here. Uh, this is a minute, 22 seconds. I want to play a part of the video here just so you can get a sense of, of, uh, of what we're talking about. If you haven't seen it yet, we took out all the swear words. We did the best we can. I hope one didn't sneak in there, but just be aware. Um, and this is the kids, um, these 14, to 18 year olds watching a, a man die. Here it is. Yeah, he just got in. I started swimming. Jockey. The rest of the day. Get out of the water. you going to die. Look at that gator coming towards you, man. Buddy. We not finna help y'all. You finna die. Bro, drowning. What the heck? <laughs> Ain't nobody finna help you, you dumb. You shouldn't have got in there. Yeah, buddy. Buddy off that 40. Hell yeah, Brian, you knocked the 40. Yeah, where he at? Hey, buddy off that 85, bitch. <laughs> what made him get. Buddy got in with all his clothes on. He keep putting his head under, buddy. Wow. That bitch ain't the Am I kid? What the? Bro, bro, something killing him, bro. Like, we finna, like, if y'all finna stick right here and still, yeah. You can say it loud. Bro, are you scared to see a dead person? Hell, no, I ain't scared to see no dead person. Y'all don't understand. Y'all don't understand. Oh, God. 
that's pretty horrifying, right? Um, these teenagers, 14 to 18, they're not going to be charged because there's no with anything because there's no law in Florida that says you have to help someone. There's no good Samaritan law in Florida. So they did nothing illegal by not helping. And we can talk if you want about good Samaritan laws. Like I, I, I think it's sad that we live in a society where we would need to pass such laws. You have to help someone, right? That's, it's a sign that we've, uh, we're not in the right place. So what's going on here? A couple different things. Uh, it's, well, it's all culture. Everything is under the umbrella of culture here. So first you have the culture of death. Uh, these kids don't think their life is worth living. So, and, and they, they're surrounded by death all the time. So watching someone else die, there's no, there's no connection to that whatsoever. Uh, a police officer who questioned these kids said there was no remorse. Even after the fact, no remorse. That's amazing. I, I could almost hear the argument that these kids got caught up in a, you know, a group gang mob mentality of, of carelessness. And we've talked about this before when it comes to rioting. Very few people by themselves would take a, a brick and throw it through a window but when you have a hundred people, then via anonymity, you think you, you know, you're more likely to do things that you wouldn't do by yourself, right? So I could hear that argument maybe here, and maybe each of them deep down wanted to help, but they thought that the cool thing to do was not to help, so none of them did, right? That's not the case. <laughs> because if that was the case, then after they got caught or the video was bad, they'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't do anything. Oh, it's unbelievable. I'm the worst. No, no remorse. None of them deep down even wanted to help. That shows how deep this culture is. So Theodore Dalrymple, his book, Life at the Bottom, please read it. It's excellent. He is a psychiatrist in prisons and hospitals in the poorest parts of England. And he told the story in this book about how one month, five people were, were shot dead. And he met the killers in the prison. And they were three black males in their early 20s. And this is what he says. He says, quote, to whom killing was no more problematic morally than making a telephone call. Just didn't even, there was no, and this is so hard for us to wrap our heads around, right? How can these people live in a culture where making a telephone call and killing someone are the same? Men who, when I spoke to them, were so convinced of the gross injustice of the world that they were convinced also that nothing they did themselves could add significantly to its sum. So think about that. Killing people, zero, zero effect on you at all. Imagine how dead on the inside, how dead your soul needs to be to, to think like that or not think like that. But if you were raised in an age of moral relativism where there's no such thing as truth, where there's no such thing as right and wrong, and if you grow up in a culture of death everywhere around you, then you're killing someone doesn't add to the pile of evil that's in front of you. It's just another day. All right, you wouldn't throw a, a piece of trash in a perfectly pristine park. You wouldn't take your hamburger wrapper and throw it on, on, on a, in a park. But if you were standing in the middle of a dump, you would throw it right on the ground. You wouldn't even think twice about it. That's how these kids feel. There's so much death. There's so much immorality. There's, there's no even concept of immorality, right? It's just, it's just death and darkness all around them. It's just, what's, another, what's another person dying? I don't care if I die. I have no hope. I have no purpose. 
no drive, no mission in my life. So why would I want to help this person save their life? It's all, it's all meaningless. This is the progressive ideology at work. This is what happens when there's no such thing as truth. Dalrymple said, I recalled the faces of the young men in prison now accused of murder, their hard expressionless eyes, young men who recognize no law, but their own desire of the moment. Think about that. No law, but for the desire of the moment in a world, because I know when I just said, this is the progressive culture at work, that maybe sounds a little harsh, um, Maybe I should define that a little better. I'm not talking about Nancy Pelosi necessarily. I'm not necessarily talking about political progressivism uh, as much as cultural progressivism. In a world where there's no right and wrong, in a world where there is no future, a world of hopelessness, then the moment and the desires of the moment is all that matters. And this is what happens when you take right and wrong out of a society, when you take truth out. Because now these kids have no standard. They have no standard. They have nothing to achieve, nothing to aspire to, nothing to aim for. It's all about the whims of the moment. There's not even, and this is a different conversation, but there's not even a past to connect to, right? Because everything in the past is just are injustices that lead up to your victim mentality. There's certainly nothing in the future because you have no hope because you're a victim. You are just to live in the present, but even the present is unjust for a million reasons. So when you're living in that life, what is the point? Life means nothing. When progressives, cultural progressives have destroyed the past, they've destroyed the future, they've left it completely up to the whims of the present, you get stuff like this, and it is soulless. Let me, uh, let me end with this quote. So Theodore Dalrymple he compares the mindset of these murderers and I would put these kids in Florida. I don't know if I'd call them murderers, but I put them in the same category, you know, when it comes to soullessness. So he compares these people to people who, um, in the same area he lives in or works in, uh, who go to a church, which is the church is completely dying in, in Europe. Uh, and of course, England. And he said in the church, quote, it was the failure of sinners to acknowledge any moral authority higher than their own personal whims. And in asserting this, the congregation was asserting its own freedom and dignity. Poor and desperate as its members might be, they were still human enough to decide for themselves between right and wrong and then offered hope to others too. For if a man chose to do evil, he could later elect by an act of will to do good. No one had to wait until there was perfect justice in the world. All the circumstances were were right right now to do good, to choose to do good. That's what church brings. These kids growing up in a culture of death, lawlessness, desperation, hopelessness, they feel like they don't have choices. So kill someone? Sure, whatever. Why not? Who cares? Watch someone drown? Yeah. Whatever. one 800 Um, All right, so that's like a cultural progressivism. I want to come back with a political progressivism, uh, which is just as soulless, or at the very least, 
uh, not helpful. I'll prove that next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network. listening to Mike Slater. Slater, so this is a story about a, a progressive's desire for the quick fix. Always looking for the quick fix. Hacking at the branches, as we say. Hacking at the branches instead of striking the root. So there was a movement a couple years ago called Ban the Box. Uh, it's now come to California. That's why it's, it's back on my radar. But you may live in a state or city that, that has this right now. Um, So the idea is when someone applies for a job, the application asks if you've ever been convicted of a felony. Mark the box yes or the box no. So as of now, an employer can't ask someone their criminal history. They banned the box. You, you can't ask someone their criminal history until after a conditional offer for the job has been made. Then you can run a background check. And you can take away the offer if you want at that point. But the idea is that uh, employers were throwing away the applications from felons before they met them face-to-face. So if we ban the box, then that person may get an interview. And then once they have an interview and they build some rapport with the employer, then the employer will realize that they're not a bad person after all. And then run a background check. But sure, they're a former felon. But gosh, I really liked them and I'll hire them anyway. That's the idea. So this has been going on for a couple of years in different places across the country uh, and everywhere it's been tried, it's been a terrible failure, which is no surprise that California then picks it up and runs with it. <laughs> California is the king of bad ideas. Usually we, we, we come up with the bad ideas, but if we don't come up with them, then we will implement them as quickly as possible. Even after it's obvious that it's a bad idea, but we're the king of bad ideas. So we have to have them all. Um, so all the research on this so far shows that this doesn't help employers with a criminal re- criminal record. It actually hurts those applicants and other people as well. Why doesn't it work? Because it sounds good, right? Sounds good. Sounds like it should work. It doesn't work because if an employer is hiring someone and they don't want to hire someone with a criminal record, they're not just going to give up and hire people at random. If they're not allowed, which the state now says they're not, so if they're not allowed to find out for sure who has a criminal record, they're going to guess who might have a criminal record. And do you know who statistically has a higher chance of having a criminal record? Demarius. Marquise, Jaquan. I'm, 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 not, I'm just statistically that person has a higher chance of having a criminal record. Half of black men are arrested on non-traffic related crimes by the age of 23. Let me say it again. Half of black men are arrested on non-traffic related crimes by the age of 23. Half. You with me? So if your name is Jamarius and you're 20 years old 
and you want a job and you have no criminal record, as of last month, you could mark on your application, not a felon. Have you ever been convicted of a felony? No. Now that's not allowed to even be asked. So the employer looks at your name, Jamarius, hmm, statistically probably has a criminal record. Now that's about 50% of black people nationwide, right? You're in an inner city. It's going to be even higher than that. So that employer is going to think that that person probably has a criminal record. They might be right, but they could be wrong. Either way, that person is not going to get a second look. So this law, it hurts people who statistically are more likely to have a criminal record, but don't. And it puts the person who doesn't have a criminal record on the same bad footing as someone who did commit a crime. Do you see how that works? So instead of what the, what the people, the progressives who push this, what they thought it would do is it would put everyone who did commit a crime on the same level of those who didn't. It would lift up those who did commit a crime and put them on the level, a higher level of those who didn't commit a crime. But what it really did is it, it took those who are statistically likely to have committed a crime and put them down on the level of those who haven't committed a crime, hurting all those people. So the latest study of this, and there's been a bunch, but the latest study uh, in a band, the box city says that it reduced employment for young black men by 5%. So great job guys. So what's the solution instead? What we need to do is to, to take people with a criminal record and help them get back into proper society. There's a thing in Tennessee, and there's many ways to do this, but there's a thing in Tennessee called a certificate of employability. So it's a court-issued certificate that you can earn only once you've proven you've been rehabilitated, you need a character witness, and you need to prove that you've done some job training and some other things like that. And then a judge can grant you a certificate, which if the state keeps this program authentic and they don't just hand these things out like candy, could persuade an employer. An employer, and this is important, with all the information in front of them, it could persuade an employer to give that person a second chance. But it's with more information in front of them, not with less. It's not, it's not hiding information from an employer. It's giving them all the information. Yes, I committed a felony. Here's what I did. I served my time. And here's my certificate of employability that I earned by doing all these things. Also, there's a bunch of programs uh, across the country. I know there's one in San Diego called Kitchens for Good. I went to a, a gathering the other day, actually, um, and it was catered by Kitchens for Good. I had no idea. It was amazing. It was so good. So the deal is um, Kitchens for Good takes people who got out of prison and teaches them uh, cooking. And also they have a catering branch, and then they put them in job placement afterwards uh, if you would like that. So I went up for my third helping and I saw a Kitchens for Good sign. And I looked up at the three people behind the, the table serving the food. And I've already looked at them twice. Amanda was one of the one of the women I was talking with. And after I saw the Kitchens for Good sign, I looked up and, and for the first time I saw all the tattoos up and down Amanda's arm. I didn't see him the first two times we talked. She went to prison for a couple of years. But then she got out, went through this program, and now she's in a leadership position in this catering company. Amazing. Full redemption. It's beautiful. Ban the box is another surface-level, feel-good, white, liberal policy. And as with almost all those, not only does it not help the people, but hurts the people it's supposed to help, as opposed to true conservative policies. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.
later. Just talked about progressive policy. Before that, we talked about progressive culture. I want to get back to that with this story here. This is a headline. First picture of teenager murdered in suspected honor killing. Uh, I want to quote Theodore Dalrymple again. This book is Life at the Bottom. Great book. Please read it. I'm going to read much more from him. I've been reading his articles for a long time, and I figured I should pick up one of his books. Uh, And I did. So good. He said, as a doctor working in a slum area with many immigrant residents, I see multiculturalism from the ground up rather than from theory down. And it, does that make sense? So, so academics, they're the ones who, they, they see multiculturalism from the top down. Again, the trickle-down culture. We talked about that in the start of the show when we played some sex ed videos that are being shown to sixth graders. And I remember 10 years ago, I was in college when I first heard about gender fluidity or whatever, gender spectrum. Uh, and here now, it's already trickling down to sixth grade and below, right? So it's set by people up top, trickles down. But anyway, this doctor, Dalrymple, he says, I see it from the ground up. And it is clear from what I see almost every day that not all cultures, not all cultural values are comparable or can be reconciled by the enunciation of platitudes. The idea that we can all rub along together without the law having to discriminate in favor of one set of cultural values rather than than another is worse than merely false. It makes no sense whatsoever. And he goes on, he shares a few stories of his experience, what he's seen. I want to share a few of them. He tells a story of a 16-year-old girl who was brought to him for wetting the bed. He finally got to talk to her alone without her dad in the room. Uh, she comes from a wealthy family. This girl is really smart and, and really depressed. And she was depressed because her dad decided that she was going to marry her cousin at the end of the month. She wanted to keep going to school and she had career aspirations, but she instead was told that she had to marry her cousin and essentially become a domestic slave for his family. That's how it works, where this from family is from in Pakistan. Now, they're living in England now, but back in Pakistan, that's the culture. Arranged marriage, girl given to the other family. So you hear that story and you're like, okay, that's terrible, but it's a one-time thing, right? doesn't happen a lot. There is a special unit for the lo- in, in the local police department. There's a special unit dedicated to rescuing girls from the homes that they're being held in against their will. That's how prevalent this is. That's how prevalent this arranged marriage slash slavery is. There's a special unit of the police department dedicated to it. And because women are less than and honor of the family is of a higher value. And I just want to stress again, this is why culture matters. And it's funny because people who talk about multiculturalism and and put that on a pedestal, they don't know anything about other cultures. (laughs) That's just a a way to to, to badmouth our culture. But they don't know anything about other cultures because they would know about this culture then. So women are valued as less than. Family honor is of greater value. So because of that, leaving a husband is forbidden. One of his patients was beaten every day by her arranged marriage husband. He would lock her up, burn her with a cigarette lighters, the whole thing. She eventually ran away, went to her mom, her, her mom, her mom said she had to return to this abusive husband right away in order to preserve the good name of the family because this girl had two sisters 
And the mom knew that her sisters would be unmarriageable if those in her community knew what their girls were capable of. Does that make sense? So this mom had three daughters. If one of the daughters left her husband, then the other two would never get married. And the mom said that if you don't go back to him, then I'm going to commit suicide. That night, the girl committed suicide. Another story. We've got a 15-year-old girl and a 16-year-old boy. Brother, sister. Their whole life, they grew up thinking they were brother, sister. It turns out they were cousins. And she was told that they were going to get married. She said that she would not marry her cousin who she thought her whole life was her brother. And the dad beat her back black and blue, fracturing the bones in her face. And the dad threatened that if you don't marry this person that you've always thought was your brother, then I will divorce your mom and throw her out on the street. Then to be sure that the marriage was consummated, they locked them in a room together with a tape recorder. When they did not have sex, she was again beaten within an inch of her life. Then she got pregnant. So honor killings and things up to honor killings, like what I just shared with you, are regular occurrences. And in the community, they are seen as no problem. This is why culture matters. Um, this ties into the story we shared at the top of the hour about the four, four, four teen- five teenagers from 14 to 18 in Florida who filmed the man drowning. The craziest thing about that to me is that they went on and showed people that video and no one called the cops. It wasn't until five days later when they found the body. No one was looking for the body. Just someone stumbled across the body five days later. So for five days, these kids were showing this video to people and no one thought to, to say anything about it. So it's the fact that bad behavior, broken, horrible behavior is allowed, almost encouraged even within the community. That's culture. Last story. A Sikh girl and a Muslim boy. The family of the girl saw her with the boy. Her brother got some friends together, Sikh boys, got a baseball bat, even though no one in England plays baseball. They still have baseball bats there, but it's for beating people. Uh, Took a bat and beat her up to get the truth whether or not they were really together. Then they went and hacked him near to death with a machete. They were then caught. They got bail. And then they fled. They went into hiding. They threatened the Muslim boy every single day saying, we're looking for you and we're going to go kill you. Now, the point of this story is the three brothers who did this, the three boys who were doing this, they were not regarded as delinquents or outcasts in their community or people we need to call out or stop or find or hand over to the police or anything. This was welcomed. It was thought of as decent and an honorable behavior. Culture. So to go back to multiculturalism, you have this theory professed by white liberals in universities, and it sounds great, but they don't live it. They don't live it. 
They want more of these cultures here in America because to them or what they preach, all the cultures are great except for ours, but they don't feel the consequences of these other cultures. Now, of course, not all people from other cultures are like this and not all people from our culture are great, obviously. But this is the importance of having an ideal. And when we live in a society where there's no such thing as truth, there's no such thing as right and wrong, there's no such thing as the ideal, right? No, this is why it's important to have an ideal. This is why it's important to have standards and judgment and decency and truth and right and wrong so that everybody has a goal to achieve. So if you're native born, you have a goal to achieve. This is who we are as Americans. Or if you're assimilating here as an immigrant, this is the goal to achieve. If you want to become an American. So just like ISIS fills a political vacuum in the Middle East, evil fills cultural vacuums. And progressives have created a cultural vacuum in America. And you're going to get a lot more of this. 1-888-900-3393. Slater Radio on Twitter. Mike Slater. Show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. So, you know, John Lennon's dream has come true. Right, just look at the lyrics of, uh, of Imagine. Right, every single one of them nailed it. Imagine there's no heaven, check. Right, no religion. Uh, imagine there are no countries. Right, no borders, borderless world. The EU, the European Union, is just this post-nationalist state. Nothing to kill or die for. No religion. Check, 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 check. <laughs> Got them all. And we just hate ourselves. It's the weirdest thing how, how we are told we have to hate ourselves. Let me give you a quick example, and then I want to tie this into something else if we have time. Um, the conquistadors. Let's go before the conquistadors. White man, white imperialism. Because that's what we hear. All the, it's white colonialism and imperialism. It's the thing that ruined blah, 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 blah. Uh, 732. 732, the Muslims took over Spain and they were advancing through up to the southern part of France. They were within 200 miles of Paris. Fortunately, and as much as we brotherly mock the French military, uh, fortunately in 732, there was a, excuse me, not 732, um, 1492, there was a great victory. The French stood up and said no, and they fought back the Muslims. They're, they're the Moors. That was the group of Muslims, the Moors. Uh, you may remember them from the Bubble Boy episode of Seinfeld when George calls them the Moops, or when the Bubble Boy calls it the Moops. And he's like, no, no, the Bubble Boy calls them the Moors, and then George says, no, I'm sorry, it's the Moops. And then the Bubble Boy gets upset because it's the Moors, and he pops the bubble in it. Uh, so the Muslims evaded in 732. They worked all the way up to France until 1492. Um and that is when the Spanish king, King Ferdinand V, kicked the Muslims out for good. Also happens to be the year that Ferdinand gave Columbus money to sail the ocean blue, 1492. So two points here. First, the kicking of the Muslims out. It's called the Reconquista. 
the Reconquista, because the land was Christian, then the Muslims conquistad it. And then the Spanish came back and reconquistad it. But for some reason, it's only the Westerners who are vilified in this back and forth. And then you have Columbus, who again sailed the ocean blue. He and other people like him are characterized as conquistadors, as if that was something new. That's the problem with calling them conquistadors. It creates this impression that conquering people was a new thing. But for 700 years prior to Columbus sailing the ocean blue, the Muslims conquistad Spain. There's nothing new about it. There's nothing Western about it. There's nothing white about it. And this ties into what we talked about a lot the last couple weeks about how Egypt and North Africa, these used to be Christian places. Middle East used to be Christian. Anyway, second point. Uh, This is why the left has embraced environmentalism. Have Have we explained this before? I don't know if I have. If if I have, excuse me, but let, let me try again because it's a bit complicated, but I don't think that bad. Um, if we were a traditional superpower in America, if America was a traditional superpower that the world has always seen, then we would be looking for countries to invade and take over. And we would be a threat to other countries. But we're not a threat to other countries or people in other countries. So the left, even though we're the big bad boogeyman, they have to make up a threat. They have to make up, we we have to be a threat to something. If we're not a threat to someone or people somewhere, then we have to be a threat to something. So to them, we're a threat to the planet. That's global warming. It's America being a threat to the planet. And it's even worse than that. We're a threat to the galaxy. I want to quote here. This is Al Gore, 2006. He wrote this out in an essay. I want to be very clear. This was not an off-the-cuff comment. Um, This was a written essay an edited essay and published essay. He said, we are recklessly dumping so much carbon dioxide into the earth's atmosphere that we have literally changed the relationship between the earth and the sun, altering the balance of energy between our planet and the rest of the universe. (laughs) That's one of my favorite quotes ever. Are you kidding me? What are you talking about? So I mean, do we even need to talk about how absurd that is? I don't, I don't think so. Right. Like there's no balance of energy graph for the rest of the universe and us from 1850 to today so that we can compare where we are, where the balance of the universe is today versus 18. Like that's absurd. So it's a, but environmentalism is embraced by people mostly by who have, those who have been raised to hate Western civilization and to hate America because we're such evil imperialists, but we're not evil imperialists and they know it. We're not a threat to other countries. So instead they've invented this. Well, we're a threat to the planet. We're a threat to the galaxy. We're a threat to mankind just in general, right? We're not invading other countries, but we're killing all the people. (laughs) See how that's, we're able to do that. And because of that, we have to beat ourselves every single day about how horrible we are. And then other cultures come in and fill the vacuum. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. I want to talk about something a little more uplifting, much more uplifting. Coming up next, uh, just another friendly reminder: uh, my new book, "How to Change Someone's Mind." It's available on Amazon right now, and we have the audio book, which is available as well on Amazon, 
or Audible or iTunes. So we got the ebook, we got the paperback, we got the audio book. It's all right there for you. Just search for Mike Slater on uh, uh, Amazon. Search for how to change someone's mind. It'll pop right up. And I'd love it if you leave a review as well, unless it's a one-star review. You can leave that to yourself. But if it's four or five stars, I'd love to love to see it. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network.